I want to talk about identity this morning. I want to talk about our identity. I want to remind you of some things, and then I want to perhaps suggest something about your identity that may not be as obvious, mainly because I've not talked about it as much as the other things. Um, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the word to himself, world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And over these coming uh, weeks and months, certainly up till Christmas, um, I want to start thinking about what it might mean for our identity as ambassadors of Jesus. And I use that phrase deliberately, our identity as ambassadors of Jesus, because as followers of Jesus, there are certain roles, I suppose, that we've been given, certain things that we are. But they're not parts you are meant to try and play. It's something that you actually are. It's not an action you're meant to do. It's an essence you're meant to take as your own. So I came up with this little, okay. I had this idea of an identity wheel. And um, we'll, we'll fill all four of them in today and then we'll kind of look more about the whole ambassador thing later on. But I, it just expresses four different roles, identities that we've been given. But again, these are not, this is not a role you have to play. You don't have to try and do this thing. You already are it. The challenge is for you to agree with that. And then as you start to agree with it, you'll act like it automatically. That's why identity is so important. Um, because according to the Bible, you are a son or a daughter. You are a saint. You are a prince and a princess. You're an ambassador. And there are other things too, but I'm going to focus on those four. And I want to talk about all four of them this morning, like I said, and then we'll, at a later stage, talk about ambassador a bit more. Um, so, the first thing you are, you are a son and a daughter to the Father. That's what you are. And according to Galatians 4 and verse 7, it says this. Now, we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our Father has, for we are heirs of God through Jesus the Messiah. That's from the Passion Translation, which is great. And I love it. God's very own sons and daughters. So the truth is when God looks at you, he says, you're not a slave, you're a son, you're a daughter. We've talked about that for years and years and years and years and years. But I wanted to remind you of it again. Because you are a son and a daughter. And that identity is what gives you access to everything Father has. It's your identity as a son or a daughter that allows you access to the inheritance that Father's got for you that allows you to access everything. And, and there's one key reason why it's so important, because if you don't know your identity as a son, then you don't have an inheritance and you can't access everything God's got for you. That's why it's so key to know you're a son or a daughter of Jesus. And so, and it's not about, and I'm going to say this a lot this morning, it's not about trying to be a son or a daughter. It's not about working out how a son or a daughter should act. It's about just going, I am a son or a daughter. 
Because once you start to know it, you automatically act like it. And that, that's why I think for many, many people in churches all across the world, they give up. Because they try and be something they already are, rather than realising what they are and acting out of it. That's what happens all the time. And that's, that's primarily because they got taught what they should do rather than who they were. They got taught the wrong way around, so it's not really their fault. But if you teach people who they are, they automatically do the right things. Okay. And that's two minutes because you're used to that one. You are also a prince and a princess in the kingdom of God. Because according to 1 Peter 2.9, it says this, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. So not only you're a son or a daughter, you are chosen and royal. Well, if you are royal, and if you're a son or a daughter of a king, you are automatically then a prince and a princess. Are you not? So the question must be, as Paul said, I remember Paul telling me a few times that Bridget said to him, what does it mean to be a prince? And I'm still pondering it. What does it mean to be a prince in the kingdom? What does it mean to be a princess in the kingdom? I don't know, but if I'm royal and my dad's the king, I must be a prince and a princess. That must be part of my identity. It must be who I truly am, how he actually sees me. Maybe that tells us something about how we hold ourselves, how we think of ourselves, and the limits we may or may not put on ourselves. Because, of course, in, in essence, the queen can do whatever she wants. But she often chooses not to. It's incredible. Her, her actual picture of what it's like to hold all power but not use it is incredible. I know she's a constitutional monarch, but she could in recent weeks and months have easily intervened, but she won't. Because she knows. I may have this power, and she knows the power of her words, but she also knows... Although she could do almost anything, she often chooses not to. So again, this isn't a role we play. We don't have to try and be a prince. We don't have to wake up, I need to be a princess today. No, no, you need to just thank God that you are a princess today and then start walking in it. That's the difference all the time. You need to thank God that you are a prince of the kingdom. It's not about trying to act like one. It's about accepting and agreeing with the fact that you are one. So just think, all you ladies are princesses. All those films you've watched from Disney and all the stuff that goes on, that you, all the stuff that little girls generally, generally, and I, I say generally, generally watch, the truth is you are it. You don't need to watch a Disney film and go, I want to be like that. You can go, I am like that. Because that's how Father sees you. He sees you like that. I never really wanted to be a prince, so I don't know what that works for me. But, but it, it's, it, the, the, the thing is this. It's not something you have to dream about or reach towards or think could be true or might be true. You just have to go, no, it is true. I am that person. Okay, so you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a prince, you're a princess. You are also a saint. You are a saint. Whenever Paul writes letters in the Bible, he always refers to them as saints, to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth. Not once. He uses the word sinner once and he refers to himself as to what it would be if he hadn't known Jesus. It's the only time the word sinner appears in Paul's letters. It's when he says, if I hadn't known Jesus, I would be this. And I think he says something about being the worst of all sinners before he met Jesus. He never ever uses that word as a label for anybody once they've known Jesus. And of course, that's because 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 tells you why. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
the truth is it's not possible for you to be a sinner because it doesn't exist anymore. It's an absolute impossibility for your identity, of course. You may well do things that are unhealthy, but that's not your identity, that's an action. And they're different, completely different. To be righteous means to be right with God, to be right with Jesus. That doesn't mean we always make the right choices, but it does mean our identity is that of a saint and not a sinner. And again, it's not a role you play. You're not trying to not sin. You're not trying to be a saint. You just, no, I am a saint in Christ Jesus. And once you know you're a saint, things like guilt and other things like it don't stick to you very well. You become like Teflon. Once you know you're a saint, you become like Teflon to guilt and condemnation and shame. You, you become like that because they, they just can't stick to you because you just know that that's not you. That's not what you're called to be and it's not what you are. It is like painting Teflon on you. And it's not about feeling it. It's about agreeing with it. The first step to realising and accepting this identity in Jesus is to agree with it. Because as you agree with it, as you agree that you are those things, you slowly start to believe it more and more and then it starts to just naturally flow out of you. Like I said, many people hear about these various identities and then they try and be that. Or they got taught they had to do this action or do this action or do this or do that. But actually, no, you already are it. You don't have to try and do anything. You just have to train your mind to believe what you already are. That's the reality. I learned this, this thing about action identity from Heather when Joshua went to preschool. And I remember that really early on, at First Steps Preschool, as it was then at Church and where Heather was in charge of it, and um, really early on she explained how they don't call the children naughty, they just talk about making bad choices. Because they're not naughty. They're beautiful children. They may make wrong choices, but their identity is not that. And of course, this is like 15 years ago. Well, it, now it's commonplace in most childcare settings, but 15 years ago it wasn't. Not everybody knew that. And for me, it opened my eyes to how, how, how I talk to my children, but also how Jesus talks to me. It's all about who you are versus what you do. Because you see, it's impossible to constantly and continually act in ways that are fundamentally different to how you think. It's impossible to constantly and continually act in ways that are fundamentally different to how you think. Because if you believe you're an orphan, a pauper, and a sinner, it'll be impossible for you to act like a son, a princess, and a saint. You just can't do it. Which is why I bang on about and the whole time about how you think and your mindset and all that sort of stuff. That's, that's really all I've done this last 15 years. I've just learned that I'm a, I'm a son. And I, I love this. Just can you go back to that wheel, bro? I love this wheel because you can kind of work out where you're at in each one. So how, how much do I know I'm a son or a daughter? Do I, do I know that like 50%, 60%, 10%? How much do I know whether I'm a prince or a princess? How much do I know whether I'm a saint? Like, it kind of allows you to just go, okay, where, where am I at on this thing? Because to some degree, we know some of it, but I think there's always more of it. So I, I, as a son, I, I know he's my dad, and I know I'm a son, and I, I pretty much know I'm a saint. A prince? Well, I've got some work to do on that one. Ambassador, I've got some work to do on that one. That's okay. We've all got work to do on different things. But it just allows you to kind of go, okay, where am I at? Trying to act like something you don't think you are is exhausting. 
That's why many people give up on Jesus and feel like it's too tough. But of course, if you try and live it that way around, it is tough. If you try and be this incredibly saintly person doing all these good deals, all the time believing you're terrible on the inside, it is exhausting. It's a horrible way to live. But this way of living from identity rather than action, it helps us, helps us well with this thought about Jesus because sometimes... And we don't manage to act as we might like or how we think we should. We feel incredibly guilty. We, we think God's left us somehow. But you've got to see it differently. You've got to see that differently. There, there may well be times when we act in ways which are unhealthy for us and those around us. That's what the Bible calls sin. But that doesn't mean God's left you. It just means you have not acted in ways consistent with your true identity. That's what it means. Whenever you get anything wrong, it means you have acted in a way that is not consistent with who you really are. That's what that means. But it's not really an issue of action, it's an issue of identity. We get so caught up with making sure we get these actions right. But actually, if you understand, when I make this choice continually that's unhealthy for me and those around me, instead of just going, I've got to stop that action, stop that action, stop that action, if you look back and go, okay, but if I knew I was a son and a prince and an ambassador and a saint, well, why don't you work on that then? And the action will sort itself out. The action will just sort itself out straight away. When we act in ways which are inconsistent with our true identity, they are hugely insightful and helpful. Because, of course, it's not helpful for you or those around you at that time, but it's helpful in this way. When you realise you're acting in a way which is not in line with who I'm telling you you are and God says you are, that's your moment to go, well, where's the problem then? So that moment, we, we think the things we do wrong are really terrible. And of course, they're not wonderful, but they're just stepping stones to get it right. That's all they are. It's an opportunity to see where you have not yet nailed your identity. That's why it is. You don't need to beat yourself up over a bowie and, you know, get the whips out and make sure you're bleeding really good before you go to bed. And just go, okay, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've realised I don't know yet that I'm this or that or the other. Show me, help me. That's what he's there for. Because he, he still sees you as a saint and a son or a daughter and a prince. And I'm, that's how he sees you. We just have to learn to see ourselves as he sees us. It really is. That, that is the simplicity of the Christian faith. I know it's a bit more complex working it out, but in one sentence, that's what it is. Okay, have you got... Oh, he's on it, look. He's had a little rest and now he's on it. So, what about as an ambassador? What about your identity as an ambassador for Jesus? Do we know it as well as the others? And if we are ambassadors, is there a message we should be bringing to those around us? Well, yes, there is. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
So Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And I don't believe he's just talking about him and his, whoever's with him. He's not just going like, it's a special title that I've got to do what, no, we are his ambassadors. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the message of reconciliation. So you are an ambassador. You don't have to try and act like one because you already are one. An ambassador, somebody who knows the heart of the king and the will of the king and works to speak that heart and bring that heart about wherever he is. That's what an ambassador does. He takes the heart and will of the person who sent him to wherever he finds himself and tries to bring that heart and will about wherever he is. And there is a message and a ministry. It's a message and a ministry of reconciliation. So as an ambassador, you have a message and a ministry. A ministry is just a, it's a task. It's a task for you to do. So we have a message to share and a task to accomplish. A message of sharing reconciliation and a task to reconcile people. And reconciliation simply means bringing people back together. That's what it means, bringing people together. It's about restoring people, firstly to Jesus, then to themselves, and then to those around them. It's about restoring people to their original design as lovers of Jesus, lovers of themselves, and lovers of those around them. That's your original design, a lover of Jesus, a lover of yourself, and a lover of those around you. And this message of reconciliation is what we are designed and who we are to take. So it's not a message of separation. It's not a message of division or disconnection or of breaking apart. So whenever you see anything done in the name of Jesus that promotes division or separation, you know Jesus has got nothing to do with that. Not, it's real, this is a message of reconciliation. So anything that separates people, breaks people apart, that is not of Jesus. They might claim it's of Jesus, but it's not of the Jesus I know and I love and I read about. Which is why we're always so concerned about bringing people together. It's why I'm always, my first thought is we've got to bring these people together. These people have been hurt and it's to bring them together. I'm never at my first thought thinking, "Ah, no, what can we do to bring these people back together? That's always the first thought. It's about bringing restoration, redemption, wholeness. There we go. So, of course, first of all, we have to be reconciled to Jesus, ourselves, and other people. And then there's a task to help other people do that. But first of all, you've got to be reconciled to Jesus, which is not a one-off event. You've got to know him as he truly wants to be known, and as we truly want to be known, even though that might be a bit scary. You realise knowing Jesus is a lifelong event, and Jesus knowing you is a lifelong event. So there's a whole journey of being reconciled to Jesus. That, Of course, part of that is coming to know him in the first instance and, and, and understanding his incredible love and passion and all that. But then there's a journey of getting to know who he really is and how he really acts and sharing who you really are with him. And then we've got to be reconciled to ourselves. Reconciled to who we were created to be and reconciled to our experiences up to this point in our lives. The truth is, we are all fragmented. We're all broken and we're all fragmented, each and every one of us. We have at times created personas that are not really us, acting in ways which are not our true selves. There is a need for all of us to be reconciled to ourselves. And your brain is an incredibly clever piece of kit. And your brain, your mind is built for wholeness. 
but it's also built to protect you. So what, what happens when people go through trauma, which can be, um, I'm going to say big and small, there's not really big and small trauma, but uh, depth of trauma, I suppose we could talk about. Well, when you go through trauma, your brain, your brain very purposefully and cleverly fragments a bit. And it actually kind of stores part of that trauma in a different place, and it just stores it for a little while. The pain, the memories, the smells, the sights, it stores it a little bit, which is a good thing. And it seems God actually designed it that way, because without it, you wouldn't be able to carry on. If you couldn't park some of those things, you wouldn't be able to carry on. So your brain very cleverly parks it. And then at some point in the future, your brain, because it's made by Jesus and wants to be reintegrated and wants to be whole, starts to want to put this fragmented bit back together. Now these days we call that something, we call it PTSD. Our flashbacks are at a very basic, simple level. And when people have flashbacks, they get very scared and worried. But this is what I've come to see. It's a really exciting time. Because it means Jesus is putting your mind back together as your mind was created to be. It's fragmented. And, and I joked about collecting the fragments. It says that, by the way, when he's, he's fed the 5,000, they go around and pick them all up. But I realise it's true about our brains. Jesus, some of us, are, our brains are fragmented in different ways because of the things we've seen and been through. But Jesus wants to collect all those fragments up and make it completely whole. And he's designed a way for your brain to do that. Now, now often, when you, when you get a, a flashback, I had one a little while ago, actually. And um, I was, I'm glad the kids are here. It means I can share it. I, um, we'd, been stole, we'd been broken into like twice in the space of not very long, all, all in the same year. And, um, and it, it triggered something in me. I remember walking down the stairs, and halfway down the stairs, my mind went to the morning Ange died. And I saw the lounge, I saw the kids, I saw the people that were there, I saw it all, and I felt the emotion of it instantly for about a second. And that's what a flashback's like if you've never had one. It, it's like you're there. The smells are there, the emotions are there, the sights are there, the sounds are there. It's like, and it's very, if you don't know about them and you're not aware of them, it can be very scary because it feels like it's happening all over again, but it's not happening all over again. It's your brain trying to reintegrate as to what's going on. And what I've realised, although, of course, at that time it's extremely painful and very difficult because it is like you relive it, trying to shut it down stops the work of Jesus reintegrating your mind. He actually stops the work of Jesus. And, of course, you need, you need people to talk to about it who can help you and who can understand it and who can get it and all that. But what I've realised is when those things happen... Although it's a scary time, it can also be an exciting time because it means God is collecting up the fragments and putting your mind back together. I think that's ace. I've seen it in a whole new light and I think it's fabulous. I get so excited about it now. And trust me, I, I know. And I've, I've only had, you know, I've not had some of the struggles that, that, that some of you have had. But I'm just starting to see it as a positive thing. And just think how amazing that God creates your brain to cope and carry on through traumatic times and then, but he's always thinking about wholeness. He's always thinking about collecting the fragments, always thinking about coming back together and has designed a process for that to happen. Isn't that incredible? I think it's amazing. I'm like going, wow, God, you're just amazing. So, 
so we've got a bit, and so I'm, I'm sharing that because it's this idea of being reconciled to our past. And that's a, that's a painful journey, but it's a journey we can go on and a journey, a journey that we've seen people come through the other side. And it's a beautiful place to get to. You were designed to be whole, designed to be reconciled to yourself and your body, your mind is built that way. Then, of course, we must be reconciled to one another. You have been given a ministry of reconciliation, not a ministry of separation, not a ministry of division. You have not been given that. Your identity as an ambassador is not one to bring division and separation wherever you go. It's to bring the exact opposite. So we have to ask ourselves, are we acting from identity as those who reconcile? Or have we at times, in times gone by, acted from a different place and not acted from our identity as those who reconcile? And of course, it's not just about ourselves as ambassadors. Our job is to reconcile those, who are, those we are sent to be with to Jesus, to themselves and to one another. Not necessarily in that order either. So not necessarily in that order. It may be that they, they get reconciled to Jesus last. That's okay. There's no, they don't have to come to know Jesus first before they can be reconciled to themselves. They can be reconciled to themselves and they can be reconciled to one another and then they might get reconciled to Jesus later on. But you are a reconciler. That's who you are. Yeah. You're somebody who reconciles everything on the face of the earth because that's what God's doing on the face of the earth. He's reconciling things together. So, have we got that? Yeah, that one. You are a son and you're a daughter. Or a daughter. You're a prince or a princess. You're a saint and you're an ambassador. And it's not about trying to do those things. It's not about trying to act as though you are those things. It's about accepting the truth that this is your identity right now. That is you. So you can go, no, I'm a, I'm a son, I'm a prince, I'm an ambassador and I'm a saint. That's who I am. Now the challenge is to live that out, but the more I know who I am, the easier it is to live it out. Because the more you accept it rather than fight it, the more you find yourself acting in those ways more and more of the time. But I want to take this thought, I want you to take that thought away with you. Okay, if there's one thought I want you to take away with you, it's the fact that who you are answers all the questions about what you do. And you are a saint, you're a son or a daughter, you're a prince or a princess, and you are an ambassador. And we'll talk about more about what that means in the coming weeks, and there's, there's lots to, to bring out. But just one final thing, actually. Just go back to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, bro. It says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So Jesus does not count people's sins against them. Well, if you are a reconciler, neither can you. Neither can you. You can't count your own sins against yourself and you can't count other people's sins against them because you're a reconciler. You're somebody who's different. You're somebody who brings people together. You do not separate. You do not divide. You reconcile. That's what you do wherever you go. And I want to encourage you to think about this. The first thought of being an ambassador is this. What reconciliation can I bring about? How, how could I operate from this place of being a reconciler? Because trust me, there's, that might just mean helping two little ones in the playground be friends again. There you go. The ministry of reconciliation right there. You might be stopping an argument between your kids. Or, yeah, honestly, like, we don't have to, sometimes we go, oh, just, just start wherever you find yourself. 
Reconcile yourself to the fact that you're an ambassador first. You have a message and you have a ministry of reconciliation. It's who you are, it's what you carry, and we need to just work out how we're going to lay it out of us, don't we? Okay, musicians, why don't you come? Let's sing a little.